Welcome to the Crown City Podcast. I'm your host, James DePietro. This is a show that explores the people and places that make our neighborhoods our home. On this episode, I'm proud to welcome Cheryl Auger, an environmental activist and the owner of My Zero Waste Store. From Rhode Island, Cheryl was raised around people who reuse materials, and this thinking followed her throughout her life. As you will hear, her career evolved from engineering to her current position as a cybersecurity manager for the Metropolitan Water District, the largest supplier of treated water in the United States, serving 26 public water agencies and 19 million people. While at a Microsoft conference, Cheryl overheard a conversation that would change her relationship with plastic and recycling. So in the summer of 2020, Cheryl opened a store in the Playhouse District that formerly housed her husband's architecture firm. What started as Bansup Refill is now my zero waste store, and it is Pasadena's only shop focused on sustainability. When you visit my zero waste store, you will find cabinets built by Cheryl's husband and cases recycled from Louis Vuitton that display products that range from toothpaste tablets and eco eyewear to Earl Grey deodorant and unlabeled Windex. The store is built around eliminating plastic and waste. And as of the end of June, Cheryl believes that they have saved 3.1 million pieces of plastic. But the store is only a part of Cheryl's story. She also leads Bansup, a group dedicated to raising public awareness and advocating for local and statewide legislation to reduce plastic use in our communities. Cheryl and her group supported the passage of California Senate Bill 54, which was signed into law at the end of June. While she manages cybersecurity to keep our water safe, Cheryl's passion is reducing waste, making our community greener, and fighting the effects of climate change. So, without further delay, my conversation with Cheryl Hawker. Cheryl, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. To get started, can you share a little bit about your background? Sure. I am from Rhode Island, and I went to the University of Rhode Island, and I started off my career as a waste treatment operator and engineer, actually as a waste treatment engineer. And then I transitioned to become a project manager, then a cybersecurity project manager. Then I started working on automated metering and then transitioned back to cybersecurity, which I am right now. So you've had a really interesting career. Like you mentioned, you went from waste engineering to cybersecurity. Now, who were some of your early influences that were especially important to you? I think back about my early earliest years where my sisters and I lived with another family. And it was a different time. Like it was really great because we all, we would all go to the meat store together and my, my, we called her my aunt and she would buy all of her meats in paper wrapping. And then we would draw on the paper wrapping after she would use it. And she would just make everything. She, we didn't buy things in containers or packaging. We made everything. And then later on, when I went to school, we also bought our clothes from like secondhand stores. So we've always, whether it be with my mother or with the family, we always were very thrifty when we were young. And I think another person that influenced me was my the president of my first company. The company itself was going out of business, and we were doing everything possible that we could to reduce our scrap and 
waste and look at how we could optimize our resources. And at that time, um, I was able to do a project that reduced our waste in our enamel shop using Kaizen. And every week we would look at our scrap rates, what was causing our issues. We would look at identifying ways to resolve those issues. And then finally, we would have a product that was, you know, not creating as much waste as we originally did. And then also, I took some of the waste that we weren't able to salvage, and I just threw, my husband calls it the Jackson Pollock look of the snap fasteners world. And then I went to New York and tried to sell it to children's lines for like things like zebras or spots on rain jackets. And so we actually started selling our waste to manufacturers for children's apparel. So I think those are probably some of my early influences as to not taking resources for granted. You mentioned that after years of of being an engineer, you transitioned to project management, information technology, and cybersecurity. So how did you make this career shift and what interested you about cybersecurity? I worked for Southern California Edison. And at the time, I was actually in the PMO, the Program Management Organization. And I was doing all kinds of projects, actually. And then one of the project managers said, oh, let's take me and and give me the security projects. So then I started working in security. And then I soon was the PMO, the Project Management Organization manager over all the cybersecurity projects. So it was a really great opportunity, obviously, because I got to early on start working with embedding security in different projects and, and making sure that whether the network was secure or the access and permissions were managed securely or any of those fun things. So I, I just got to start working on it. Well, you currently work as a cybersecurity manager for Metropolitan Water District. As infrastructure security is so important due to domestic and international threats, how do you think we're doing to protect these critical resources? I think that we're doing really well. I really appreciate the standards that our government has published, which includes like the NIST standards or even there's cloud standards. There's so many different standards that we can use to crosswalk our functions and our different technologies to ensure that we have coverage for those risks and then also assess ourselves for those risks. And I also feel like the technologies are so amazing now. We have technologies that are actually automatically detecting whether or not there are viruses or malware in your environment. And then they can actually even manage these. So it really is helpful to have this machine detection and correction capabilities to help with managing those threats. You know, it seemed like cybersecurity became a really big hot button issue when Russia invaded Ukraine because everyone expected a spike in retaliatory cyber issues. I don't know if you saw any kind of issues with with that. I think we're still expecting them. I guess that's the correct response. And it's funny because I just had a similar conversation yesterday about the person was like, in this window, you should be expecting to see. And so I do think it's kind of interesting, like these things do go in phases. And it's, it's like, when is the, the state sponsored threats going to start taking place? And whether it's China or Russia, there's a lot going on. Perfect transition to talking about where we are here right now. And we were talking about this before our conversation, that this is the first episode that we're actually talking in front of each other, and we're actually at your store, which is very exciting to to me. So in February of 2020, you opened Bandsup Refill, uh, which is now my zero-waste store. And it's a retail shop that sells refills, unpackaged products, 
sustainably packaged products and reusable items. So when did you first get interested in environmentalism? Wow. Okay. Gosh, recycling, like the hot topic. I was actually at a Microsoft conference and in Seattle and LADWP was there. One of their, it was actually, we were looking at their whole entire Windows 10 and the security features and the whole entire, like what we all know now as Teams and the white pad and all those things. And I walked by these two people that were having a conversation and the conversation was something like people are so stupid. They think that they can just throw anything in the recycling bin and it's going to get recycled. And they think that if there's pizza juice on the box, that that's going to get recycled. And, And I just, I overheard the conversation and I walked away and I'm like, I actually kind of thought that everything we threw in the recycling bin gets recycled. And I even have a picture of my home bin that says plastics one through seven are recycled in Pasadena and along with a whole list of other materials. And so I talked with a few friends and we were kind of talking about this. This is kind of weird. We're not told that. And then I wrote Gabriel Silva from our Department of Public Works an email. And he said, yeah, you're right. Only plastics one and two are recycled. And I was hoping to be wrong because, you know, even though I knew I was right, but that was not the thing I wanted to be right about at all. So I worked, I tried to work with the city for two years. Went like, there's a zero waste plan. It was published in 2013. So in 2012, they took a baseline of our waste. And we, at that time, were creating 21.8 pounds per day of waste per person in Pasadena. We in LA County produce 16 pounds of waste per person per day. So just our moderate affluence, I don't know how much richer we are than LA County on a whole, but it's maybe 20%. You can see that direct correlation with our waste output. So that does include construction and demolition, which you and I were talking about earlier, where the store fixtures from the Louis Vuitton were rescued by my store, or they would have ended up in the landfill. And that's probably hundreds, if not thousands of pounds of waste. So we asked the city to revisit the zero waste plan, because in that letter from Gabriel Silva, he said, we now produced 50% more waste than we did in 2013. So obviously, while the Department of Public Works said they were doing a great job on the tenants of their zero waste plan, they weren't successful. So they could say that they were doing the job. But if there's no evidence that we're moving towards zero waste, then they're failing at that job. And then we need to change the plan and think about what's the right way to get there. So when Andy Wilson got into office, I was glad that he called the Department of Public Works into one of the municipal services committee meetings. And we were we were there together where I was pretty much gaslit about the whole entire process and, you know, that, yes, educating third graders is the best way to provide a composting awareness to the city of Pasadena. And even though Andy promised to bring it back and never went back to the commission, the Department of Public Works was never called back. And we continue to not know that plastics made from resins number three, four, five, six, and seven are not recyclable. And we continue to single source all of our waste. And I just learned, I've actually been doing a little bit of recycling and trash work recently or research. So I called Pasadena, 
Department of Public Works. Hey, what happens when the glass bottle gets catapulted and, and smashed into your waste truck? The gentleman was very kind. He's well, actually, we just, we changed those out for paddles. And so the paddles are softer. And so the glass, we've less glass breakage. And therefore they're able to, to separate out the glass bottles and, and get a better valued product at the end. Athens' response was, we like everything to be broken because it'll get sorted through our conveyor belts and then we'll source that out. Now, of course, you hear that the whites and the browns and the ambers and the greens and the whatever color those bottles are, that's all mixed. So that waste stream is no longer valuable to remake a glass bottle. Never mind the fact that I don't think glass bottles should be remade. I think they should be reused, rewashed and all that stuff, just kept in circulation. I just read the New York Times article today that that's being used in asphalt. And so there's a glass shortage. Part of the reason is that they're creating a waste stream that is so contaminated that they have to sell it to an asphalt company. And then Two weeks ago, I was so excited. I went over to Burbank Recycling Center and I was like, oh my goodness. It's like the holy grail of recycling. I was like, this is how you do it. Like they have a bin just for clear glass bottles, a bin just for amber glass bottles, a bin just for green glass bottles, a bin just for corrugated cardboard, a bin for non-corrugated cardboard. It's like bins galore and I was like okay perfect separation they are going to be able to get this to market and somebody's going to buy it because they took the time to separate all the materials so perfectly that there will not be any contamination so it makes me wonder why Pasadena we brag so much about how great we are but why can't we lead on recycling or composting or even just source reduction of our waste. For the uh, the Burbank example, is that the city of Burbank? It is. Yeah. And they even have CRV. They take back your like anything eligible for CRV. So, yeah, I'm I'm just impressed. So, why did you feel it was essential to open this type of business now? I opened it during COVID. I think it was the first July of of COVID, which was 2020, where we actually were in the store and our cabinets were built out. And I didn't really plan on opening a store, but I drove by Maximiliano's and there was a point of sale system and racks for sale, all for $100. So I was like, okay, seems like my time to go into business. Now, of course, the point of sale system didn't work. <laughs> and the racks, I think my, my husband being an architect and an engineer wouldn't let me have the baker racks in here. <laughs> so I ended up giving the racks away to a woman at an antique store. And my husband designed some really nice looking shelves for me. But I was really disturbed by our health departments when They said that even though we all knew COVID was not transmitted through contact, surface touch, or any of those things, it was viral load. Everybody confirmed that. But yet the Department of Public Health made every restaurant and store start 
selling stuff in plastic bags. And I was not going to start buying things in plastic bags just because the Department of Public Health has an inane ruling on how our products are sold. So I just started, and I'm very concerned about the plastic crisis, seeing its impact worldwide and growing impact and hearing now about microplastics in human bloodstreams and in fetuses and and then the toxicity associated that with that and of course there's the concern about that's maybe how autism is being influenced or why it's more yeah, more prevalent so i started off with 55 gallon drums i wasn't able to get like the dr bronners or mrs myers because they were all looking at their covid protocols and how to like share things or distribute things so i was able to get 55 gallon drums of like commercial off-the-shelf products like gain and those types of things windex it's all unlabeled but the great thing about it is i was able to get 55 gallon drums of it and get my containers refilled and also local products like further where he's as conscientious as I am about refilling. So he not only refills his containers, but if I have leftover containers, he'll take my leftover containers if another supplier won't take them back. And now I just added Zatik, which is one from Glendale. And they'll, right now I'm buying in five gallon containers, they'll refill those, but they'll even refill 55 gallon containers when I increase my supplies. So we don't create any waste. So, which is the part that I absolutely love. Our cardboard boxes go to a humane society, our containers go back for refill, our packaging goes to a ship and pack store. So pretty much like we're left with maybe paper that, and we might even start recycling our paper and making paper cards out of it. The other thing too is that we saved 3 million pieces of plastic from being created by people using their own containers. It's so tremendous to think that just by a community coming together and refilling a container that we can do so much. Like that is, that is influencing the climate crisis, right? Because plastic impacts it creates greenhouse gas emissions i believe it's one percent of all greenhouse gas emissions are now attributed to plastic that's expected to grow in the next decade we also know that the pre-covid numbers 335 million tons of plastic was generated worldwide pre-covid and that used close to 16 trillion gallons of water and we're not the only state or geographical area that has water resource issues or water supply issues. And I think if all of us thought that water that's being used to create that plastic for one-time use that's normally ending up as a pollutant somewhere, that water would be better used as water to grow food or water to drink. I, I just, I think it's a perverse use of water and that we really need to start global governance of our resources, especially especially water. Well, I'd like to think that people want to buy more sustainable products and recycle, but the challenge is that we are resistant to change and that most people won't change what they're doing until it's more convenient or cheaper. So how do you make sustainable shopping easy for your customers? I think one of the things I love about it, about my store, is that the 55-gallon drums, those are 12 to 15 cents an ounce. So it's comparable to what... Target is selling their stuff at. One of my store clerks a couple weeks ago did a com- price comparison, and I, th- and I think she just highlighted eight products that are actually cheaper at my store. But the convenience factor, right? 
you want to go to one store and get everything. I think that's a struggle. And then the Amazon convenience factor, like right at your door. So I, I think for us, one of the things that we're looking at right now, Active San Gabriel Valley, is renting electric bikes. So I think within the next couple of weeks, we'll probably rent an electric bike. And then maybe the last half hour of the day, just scoot around town and delivering things. And maybe that will help with supplies or even like just refill, bring like the five-gallon containers or one-gallon containers and refill in place people's items. But I don't know. Convenience is everything. Time. I think Californians have less time than everybody else. I don't know why, but maybe it's the traffic. Maybe it's the, I don't know. But I think everybody is very short on time. Well, we were talking about this before we started that, you know, I've, I have several children at home. So it's like, I have very little time, but you know, Amazon's like, okay, if I need diapers, I'll do Amazon. If I need something from Target, like you mentioned, you know, do curbside. It's, it's super convenient. It saves us a lot of time. But the whole idea is like to make some positive changes. We need to kind of alter our behavior and doing these little things using your store, I think would help help that. Right. And then also I know, so my store is really focused on that, right? So, cause we have unpackaged things, we have sustainably packaged things, and then we have the refillables and the reusables. So yeah, so we're totally geared towards zero waste, but even if you're shopping at Target, you can still make smart choices, right? So you can make sure you buy soaps in bars, not in water, because every time you buy something with liquid, that means somebody had to ship that liquid. And then that uses a lot of gas. It creates a lot of greenhouse gas emissions. But if it was concentrated in a bar, you would reduce your, the weight of that product significantly and reduce your use of natural resources. So that's just smart. And I just got toilet strips in the other day, which like the laundry sheets, but they're toilet sheets. And they were like, why would you ship or use toilet bowl cleaner with liquid in it. You're just adding it to a toilet bowl filled with water. And I'm like, oh yeah, that doesn't make sense, does it? So I'm actually, I'm really super excited. I just bought two containers of the toilet bowl sheets just to use them at my house and see how they work. So I'm very excited about those kinds of things. Well, like many people, we see a symbol at the bottom of our plastic containers. And since there's a number, we assume it's recyclable. You mentioned this earlier. Uh, but what we think of that as recyclable as the recyclable symbol is actually just an identifier for the types of plastics, which is something I learned while doing research for this episode. In fact, plastics, like you said, three, four, six, and seven aren't recyclable and sometimes not, e- not even five. So how much of what you do at my zero waste store is edu- education? And I say that because like, I had no idea that only one, twos, and fives were recyclable. And since doing research on this episode, now I'm now looking at the bottom of my, my any plant plastic, any kind of container and being like, oh, this is a six. It goes right in the trash because I know it's not going to be recycled. So why you put it in the recycling bin? Right. And six is the polystyrene, which also has harmful chemicals that could be bad for you. So yeah, no, number one, we've got educational posters, which we just won a small business award and that's has money. Wells Fargo funded it for Arizona State University for the Sustainable Earth Small Business Award. So I'm going to be using some of that money to update our posters because even I uh, have some misinformation there, like 9% of plastic. That used to be the old number. It was actually recycled. It's actually the Department of Energy has just now stated that only 5% of 
plastic is actually recycled worldwide. So definitely we focus a lot on awareness, but I also would like to say how proud I am of my customers because, oh my gosh, we just, we also, I focus on legislation a lot and my store was instrumental in helping to pass SB 54, Senator Allen's bill last month in June. It just passed on June 30th. And it was a major push to get that bill through the assembly committees to the total assembly and then over to the Senate and then to Gavin Newsom's desk. It all happened in one like Tuesday through Thursday. And it was amazing. My store customers called, they emailed, they they were asking for what's next, let us know what to do next. Right now we're working on AB 1857, which is a source reduction. And also this bill is important because it will help reduce, I didn't know that we incinerate in California, but 10% we have a, right now, 10% of our waste can go to two incinerators, one located in Long Beach. And our toxic plastic can actually go to those incinerators and create dioxins and other harmful chemicals in our air. And so this this legislation will repeal that 10% and not and disallow us from incinerating our waste, which I think all of us who want to breathe clean air in California understand that we do not want incinerators and we and all of the harmful health impacts from from bad air. And just one other piece of legislation that I'd like to to mention, Senator Allen also passed Senate Bill 343 last year, and that will require manufacturers and distributors who sell us plastic items to only put that recycling triangle on if their product is actually recyclable. And it has to be recyclable in the state of California. So it can't be that, oh, wait, I know this place in Taiwan that <laughs> recycles containers. It has to be recyclable here. And there are very few places. We don't really have a lot of infrastructure for recycling. So that's going to mean a lot of products will not have that recycling arrow on them anymore. After launching this podcast in October of 2020, I knew I needed a tool to record the show that would be easy for both myself and my guests. I also wanted a tool that had great audio quality. So I'm excited that the podcasting tool I've used since the early days of the show, Zencaster, is a sponsor. Not only does Zencaster provide studio quality sound, but it also features awesome HD video recordings if you want to upload shows to YouTube or someplace else. What I love most about Zencaster is that I record separate audio and video tracks, so the editing process is much more customized. Plus, there's secured cloud backups so you never lose your interviews, post-production is a simple click away, and a transcript is even auto-generated. It's super easy to use. There's nothing to download. My guests just click on a link and we start recording. Go to Zencaster.com pricing and enter promo code the Crown City Pod to get 30% off your first three months with a pro account. You will also get a 14-day free trial. Zencaster is the modern web-based solution for the everyday and professional podcaster, and I'm proud to have them as a sponsor. Now back to the show.
to get back to uh, SB54, uh, we're jumping around a little bit, which, which I think is a good thing. It requires that all packaging in the state to be recyclable or compostable by 2032, cutting plastic packaging by 25% in 10 years, and requiring that 65% of all single-use pa- plastic packaging to be recycled in the same time frame. Do you think this bill does enough to address the problem, and what do you think the impact will be on us consumers? No, I think no one thinks it d- does enough. Okay, okay. And, and even Senator Allen knows it doesn't do enough. Our problem is actually that that bill was like four years in the making. And when it first started, it had everything in it, including like wine bottles. But the winemakers fought to get exempted. So they got exempted. A bunch of other industries got exempted. At the end of the second year, we were left with plastic. Plastic lobbyists are strong. They have lots of money. And so they got it watered down even more. Polystyrene, which we all know is not recyclable, they, there was a compromise there. And it was primarily because when New York passed their ban, polystyrene companies sued them. And they, so they were able to halt the, the polystyrene ban from being implemented. The same in San Diego, when San Diego tried to ban polystyrene, were we're waiting to see if L.A. County is going to have the same problem in L.A. City. It's really hard to work the polystyrene lobbyists and all plastic lobbyists. But the compromise here, and I thought it was pretty smart, is that, okay, polystyrene, like I said, it, can't, it cannot be, it can't be recycled. It could possibly be downcycled. But then you've got health ramifications of working with toxic materials. So Senator Allen said, okay, if you can demonstrate that you can recycle these materials, then and you have to do you have to demonstrate that you can do twenty five percent by I think it was twenty twenty five, which gives them two years from the start date, which is January first, twenty twenty three. Then okay, you've proven that you can recycle your materials, and we'll let you. Okay, and but it has to be by each item, so it has to be like your stirrers, the forks are one item. The knives are one item. The spoons are one item and so on, right? So when you think about it, in order for them to get 25% of their materials, number one, they need to know where all of those materials are throughout the state of California. Then they have to somehow sort those from the rest of our plastic waste. So are they going to give us like like another container just to collect our polystyrene? And then they're going to have to do a separate truck trip that will gather those materials and bring them to a facility. Yeah, because I, I was thinking, well, maybe they could use the same truck and then sort it, but it's, it will be too hard because the trash will be so commingled if they, if they don't sort it right at the source. And then they'll have to find a facility, I believe in the state of California, that can downcycle it. And then even if that happens, then it's technically still not being recycled. So I think it was a good way to get around the fact that we don't want a lawsuit. We really want attention to the problem, and we want to fix the problem. So you opened for business at arguably the most challenging time in our recent memory due to the pandemic, but you've had obviously made a connection with your customers because of your success. You mentioned before we started recording that you just celebrated your two-year anniversary, which is a huge deal. So what is next for my zero-waste store? And what other products do you want to sell? One of my continuing missions is to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions and our carbon footprint. So sourcing locally 
is really huge on my map. I love the fact that we have these new products that are coming out like Huppy, which are tooth tablets. They're a startup, like I think probably two years old, about the same age. And they send me things in parchment envelopes. And then I resell their tooth tablets in, in, from my containers into other people's containers. But it really just gets rid of that plastic waste stream that toothpaste is normally associated with. I, I have a similar product from San Diego, which are all-purpose cleaner tablets, where she's exactly environmentally conscious like that. So I think continuing along that mission, finding more locally sourced products, making our own products. And then my husband actually makes soap and the soap actually draws carbon. So making soap locally is really good for helping to remove carbon from our atmosphere. And we also, I want to teach people how to make more things, more workshops. Composting is huge on my, my thoughts or whatever my intentions, because really all of us should be composting our waste. And if we can't, if we don't have the room to compost, we should have composting hubs. Right now, organic waste is 33% of our waste. And what I've seen is that when you compost large amounts of, of food scraps, over the week's time, it takes about eight weeks to compost fully. Like a 55-gallon drum of organic material goes down to less than a gallon of organic material. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to use diesel trucks to haul that anywhere and mix it with plastic or whatever potentially unwanted contaminants you mix it with. It really just makes sense to, to do it locally, manage it, and reduce your greenhouse gas emissions accordingly. So that's big for me. So as I mentioned earlier, the bike delivering, trying to wean people off of Amazon and the packaging associated with that. And I guess continue to bring awareness to the plastic crisis. I think that I love the fact that we do have legislation focused on this. And I do have a group called BANSUP, so Ban Single-Use Plastics. And we meet usually on a monthly basis. We review plastic legislation. We submit letters to the California Legislative Portal. We meet frequently with Assemblymember Holden, Senator Portantino, two of the most important people right now because they are both chairs of their appropriation committees. So arguably two of the most important people in Sacramento. So we're very fortunate to have them locally, and we're very fortunate to be able to meet with them, to reach out and talk to them, talk to their staff. And really, I hope to actually even be drafting a bill for Holden this, this fall on a solar company that's modeled, and it's actually not a company, but it's a nonprofit modeled after Chirp in Pomona. And Chirp in Pomona is a 501c3 that fabricates and installs solar panels. And by fabricating and installing solar panels in low-income and middle-income communities, they are bringing money to the community, They're bringing the, which is also helping to support local jobs, the local economy. It broadens the tax base. It helps the environment. So just really good all around. So I definitely want to focus on that as well. Um, a question that I ask a lot of small business owners that I have on the podcast is whether you think that we do enough as a city to support and encourage people, especially women, to start and grow their own business here in Pasadena. So I want to kind of get your perspective on that. It's funny because I don't think so. <laughs> a lot of people come in here and they'll ask me, they're like, oh, is the city supporting you at all? Because they should, because you're taking, you're taking other people's waste and you're reusing it and helping other people to use other people's waste. And, but no, I, I, I'm, yeah. 
<laughs> I think that says a lot. There are quite a few articles recently debating whether recycling works. Um, and it seems to hinge on whether there is a market for recycled products and infrastructure. Um, is plastic too cheap as a product for it to be unprofitable to recycle? Yeah, that... It's a big question, I know. Yeah, and I'm so lucky. We have Jan Dell in our community of smart people. She's a chemical engineer, and she's brought a few lawsuits against Target and CVS and, and, and have won Law Marks TerraCycle is another one. One of the points that she makes, which I think is really very interesting, is that we can have these recycled content bills, but really you're going to be using other people's recycling waste because we don't really have the infrastructure here in California. And we can export baled plastics made with resins number one or baled plastics made with resins number two. As long as that's not mixed, we can export that waste to third world countries and they can recycle it, but that will they'll probably mix in their recycled content, not our recycled content. So we're really not fixing our plastic problem. And the problem with having that offshore and that lack of visibility into what is being mixed into your recycled content is that we don't know the toxicity associated with that. We know that we're sending one one has known health problems too. So really you'd only want to have twos be recycled with recycled content or fives and know that you are not getting anything toxic in your food or your drinkware. There's no governance that would assure you of that. And so the risk I think is too great for us to even suggest that we should be having post-consumer materials made with recycled content. Well, you mentioned the recycling facilities. There's more than 180 facilities in the U.S. to reprocess billions of pounds of plastic each year. And it's estimated that we need at least 80 more to meet even California regulations. However, it sounds like we needed trucks to transport these items and places to collect, collect them. Where should we invest in the recycling chain to make a real difference? My dream would be to get a grant and start collecting bottles and rewashing them. And then I'd have to find markets for my washed bottles. I think I've seen Colorado do a really great job with that because they not only create the local infrastructure, but they also create the end markets so that there are viable markets for the product that's being either recycled or rewashed. And I really think we need to look at that. There was a bottle washing bill last year that was passed. And unfortunately, because California lacks the infrastructure, we had to ship our bottles to Oregon for them to get cleaned. And that just doesn't make sense. So I definitely would like to see more of that. And and I guess to your point, if, or, or to the earlier conversation, yeah, we should invest in recycling infrastructure for two and five. And I know that Athens has invested in some of that. So, you know, more companies need to just do that. As we kind of wind down our conversation, a question popped in my head. You mentioned that in Pasadena, there was a study done in, was it 2012, 2013? Mm-hmm. Zero waste plan. So what's the status of revising that and getting a new baseline? And I can kind of get the answer to the question by looking at the expression <laughs> on your face. Because it seems like we need to have a new baseline. Right. We need a new baseline. We need action. I just, I don't see the city body as really acting. They didn't act on the compost. I don't know, if, but instead of having people do what the climate action plan says, which is compost at home first, if you don't have a home, then, you know, compost at a local hub. We just, we're creating a park right now in my neighborhood where the store is. There's no composting hub. There's no composting hub anywhere. Pasadena instead says, 
put your organic waste in a plastic bag and that plastic bag is going to get separated at the transfer station. That plastic bag is going to get trucked over to Puente Hills. And then that goes down to Carson. That's not acceptable. Whether it's the compost, our Raymond Basin, our water crisis, our plastic waste crisis, the city just doesn't do anything. And I know several years ago, there was only 0.5 resource on waste. And it could be our problem. That's probably our problem, right? It's like we have a half of a full-time resource looking at waste. And it's obviously probably too much for one person to do. I think that, and then I think there also is a little bit of, there's the hauler issue, right? Because the haulers are incentivized. They want as many tons as possible. So they don't want us to really have the right information because the more they can haul, even if we make a mistake, the more they're going to make. And so I, I honestly think, like, when I try to think about why does my garbage can still, or my recycling can still have that I can recycle all these materials, even though G- Gabriel Silva has sent me an email saying those aren't recyclable, whose job is that right. to, it, to correctly inform the public? Well, it's interesting. You mentioned the, the organic waste issue, and I remember seeing the first notice about that, and I'm like, this makes no sense to put uh, you know, organic waste in a plastic bin, and then you have to put it in your, in your yard waste bin. It makes no sense. So, you know, when thinking about the next five years, the next 10 years and beyond, what do you envision for passing as environmental future, and what role do you see yourself playing in it? I wish sustainability was the number one criteria for their new manager that they just hired. But of course, it's not really on our radar. I don't, I think things are going to get tough, right? As we see more fires, as we have more drought, as we have these cyclic storms that are in extreme weather patterns, I think there's going to have to be a growing awareness of the problem. I think, honestly, Pasadena won't lead on it. I think Pasadena will probably just do what other people do. And then we'll just, thankfully, because of other people's or other cities or counties or states' actions, we'll have some action. Well, you mentioned that uh, my zero-waste store is located in the Playhouse District, which has wonderful shops and restaurants. And like you mentioned, there's a soon-to-be park that they're building right now. If you could design a perfect day in Pasadena from breakfast to late night, what would you do? Where would you go? And what would you eat and drink? (laughs) Okay. I wonder if I could start in reverse. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. There's Manaka Mercadito. They have painting classes where you can have wine and or margaritas and sit there and paint and they have wonderful items from Mexico that they sell all authentic products and everything so that's quite a great place to relax and also get some unique products or gifts Sasso's right next door to me wonderful for sitting outside by the playhouse and enjoying a margarita or some delicious food from their chef which they pair with his uncle's wines the playhouse village obviously is great for entertainment I just saw a play there a couple months ago that was, oh my God, it was exhausting. It was called Anne for the governor of Texas, about the governor of Texas. It was just one day in the governor's life and it, oh my God, it was so exhausting. She was like on the phone calls, making reservations. She was like, oh, she was such a busy woman. (laughs) So yeah, definitely I will never go into politics. Then I have to say OG Sushi was wonderful during the pandemic. They always let me bring my own containers for takeout. 
Yeah, as did a couple of other restaurants, Sushi and Ramen and El Portal. Yes, El Portal let me bring my own containers. And so I was really grateful to them. And they were probably grateful to me to keeping them continuing to do takeout during COVID. I even got takeout margaritas from El Portal, which was awesome. That's another thing is I really want more restaurants to let us bring our own containers, whether it's for takeout Certainly, everybody should just start bringing them for leftovers. But even like just a coffee cup, like how could putting your coffee cup underneath a coffee pot cause any problem with middle of any virus? So although maybe I have to rethink that with monkeypox, <laughs> but I think we need to get over ourselves and our self-importance and start realizing that we've really got a plastic issue and it's impacting the world. Well, Cheryl... Thank you very much for being so important to our passing a community, for promoting and, and being a spearhead for environmentalism and recycling, and for your wonderful shop and coming on the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. My many thanks to Cheryl for coming on the show. I hope that the success of my Zero Waste store will be a template for others. And the fact that Cheryl's sister and another sustainably focused person want to open similar stores shows that there's a market for more conscious shopping. For more information and to support Cheryl's wonderful shop, please visit MyZeroWayStore.com and her advocacy group, Bansup, at Bansup.net. Store is located at 25 South El Molino Avenue in the heart of the Playhouse District. This episode marks an important milestone in the podcast's history as my conversation with Cheryl was recorded in person at her store. Due to COVID, 31 episodes of the show have been recorded remotely. And while most of the episodes will likely still be recorded online, I hope this ushers in a new and more personal dimension to the podcast, where I can sit across the table from my guests and not just across the city from them. There are so many people that help keep this show going. First, I wanted to thank my Patreon sponsors, Jess and Albert, I really appreciate your continued support. Second, to my family for all their love to keep this project alive. And finally, to all that listen, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show, or supporting it through direct sponsorship or on Patreon. I'd love your comments, feedback, and suggestions. You can reach me at james at thecrowncitypodcast.com and follow me on Instagram. Until next time, please remember to stay well, think before you toss out that container, and as always, see you around town. Their secure cloud backup, so you never lose your. Ep- <laughs> Plus, there's a secured CAD. Plus, there's secured cloud backup, so you never lose your. Ep- ah. Plus, there's secure. <laughs>